Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. I'm doing it at my desk with people around me, which is really kind of crazy. Hello, Brian. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Joining me today, first off, Angelica Jump at EMI. She's been on the podcast before, but um, she's a research manager. But she's not just a research manager. She is our local Cincinnati wire rep. And she's also our internal lead on diversity inclusion efforts. And she um, is amazing. And so, Jellica, thanks for joining. (laughs) Thanks for joining. (laughs) Today, we have a guest, and I want to, I'll introduce him and chat with Angelica for a second, but it's Tim Cornelius. He is the Director of Audience Operations at Question Pro. He's the CEO at P3 Technology. I met, well, I've known Tim for a while, but um, I talked to him at IIEX in Austin, and he um, asked if I was coming to his presentation, and I said, of course, because I was looking forward to it, because it was about inclusion, and, and when we think about inclusion, our industry is doing a great job of inclusion, but I think one of the segments that we don't focus enough on is inclusion with people with disabilities, and that was what his topic was. And he brought a sign language interpreter with him, which I thought was amazing. He told a lot of amazing stories. Um, he's, I think he's had a couple of presentations out there. So I would encourage everyone in research, seriously, um, listen, if you got, if there's a, a webinar out there you can find that he's presented at, every researcher should, can get a couple of key takeaways from it. So that's, I want to lead off with that. Um, I think the interview is great. You happy with it, Angelica? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. A lot about inclusion in different ways. And I think one of the main themes is privilege. It's privilege of being an abled body and having your unconscious not tell you immediately that something could be a flag, that something was not inclusive for a respondent, a red herring question that uh, a deaf person cannot hear and obviously would not answer any audio correctly. Um, and mm-hmm. could terminated from the survey. Tim's going to give an example of that that he has very personal experience with. But yeah, just take a minute to think about who your audience is, who you want to reach, and make sure it's inclusive for everybody. I think that's the theme of this whole podcast and how brainstorming what we can do to improve it. One thing we didn't mention, but it came to me as we were talking, it all goes back to what we've talked about a lot is that respondents are people. Mm-hmm. They're not words that fill in a text box to a question. They're not num- They're not your whatever system ID. These are people. And I think remembering that can get you a long way. Yeah, exactly. He, he said something that was intriguing to me. He said that, I think Angelica asked something simple you can do. And he said, you can design, the, it's easier to design the research with it in mind at the start. Mm-hmm. And we've been saying for a long time, we should be designing surveys thinking of smartphone device usage first and if you design every survey um, with the baseline if it should be accessible to someone using a smartphone then all of the desktop and laptops will automatically work right yep. that same mentality should not be limited to a smartphone we should be designing surveys to ensure inclusivity with anyone and if if for you should be putting subtitles in for that should be automatic we should be designing surveys to include subtitles and to ensure that we're being represented for all of these populations. It's not easy. It's a change in mindset, but um, I'm happy to know that Tim is doing a lot of this work out there and advising us researchers on how to do it better because it's something you don't think about, especially, you know, we're an online quant primarily. 
we don't see our respondents. We don't know anything about them. We don't know if they have any disabilities. And the fact that he stated was one in four have a disability. That's staggering. Um, and we don't ask, when, you know, his example about someone who's deaf. Um, we don't ask if they're hearing impaired or vision impaired. I don't, I don't think we can. I think that's illegal. Yeah, but, you know, we should be designing just in case, right? Right. Um, just like we're designing surveys for someone on a smartphone, we should be designing surveys for all these other things, too. We could probably talk to a whole podcast just on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a good interview. Um, thanks for listening. Um, wanted to mention a couple of events really quick. Oh, Oh, should we talk about the scurry? Let's let's do. This. I, I think we have to we have to give it a brief mention. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, we won. Yeah, if if you follow the EMI Twitter, you already know this. Which was for mental health, and this you know, mental health is closing. Mental health month, and mental health is closing. But mental health month is closing. Yeah, we um, didn't solve mental health in the la- in the last twenty six days. <laughs> Um, it was an amazing time. We'll talk more about it in another podcast, but we won, we raised the most money. So thank you out there. If you're listening, I know some listeners donated some money. It was a great time. Um, you could go to our LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter to see pictures and get a little bit, but we'll talk about it more in the next podcast likely. Um, so we had that and, um, Angelica, you just went to a wire event and it's somewhat related. I thought, I think one of the themes was, um, was, um, I don't even remember the term I was going to use, was empathy. And, you know, spoke a lot about having empathy in a research setting. And I think it applies to today's podcast as well. What was your experience like for the WIRE event? It ended up being an incredible event. We haven't had content like that in a while. But we had Jamila from FedEx, who was more on the qual side. And then Beth from EMI, who spoke a little bit more quant. So we had these two different opinions who both had experience in all these different types of methodologies and the core comes down to empathy towards the respondent to remember that sample is people (laughs) it's not a commodity we need to treat these people with respect we want them to take our surveys and we want them to come back and if we don't treat them right if we don't make it accessible to people they're not coming back and we're going to continue to have feasibility issues uh, if we don't talk about it well you did an amazing job um thank you to wire um thank you to sarah faulkner and to tanya farrar and thank thank Mm -hmm. you to burke who also sponsored it and had a big representation there it's awesome to have such amazing people in the cincinnati community um that were active there was probably 40 50 people there amazing location great food good topics and it's just oh my gosh it's so much fun to get out there and like see people again i think and so hopefully you're supporting wire or whatever local events um, your community has, if it's WIRE or Insights Association or SMR or APOR or anything, any networking thing. So, um, Angelica, great job on that. And then a couple other events we have. Um, we'll talk more about SampleCon maybe coming up. Um, SampleCon was just a couple weeks ago. And the next conferences, I guess, that we're attending are the MMR Future of Insight Summit in August in Athens, Georgia. And then the Insights Association North Central chapter has its fall conference in Chicago in September. So if we're looking for something to do in, in Georgia or Chicago, um, there's more information out there. And then Insights Marketing Day, Brian and Emma, the, our marketing team will be at Insights Marketing Day with Little Bird Marketing and all the great marketing people. This is, I think it's your third or fourth year in a row you've gone. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, I've lost count. I think it's third. <laughs> yeah. So always come back with some cool stuff there. So we're going to do the interview with Tim. 
who's awesome and it's awesome to get to know him. And I think that our research will be better because of his influence. And I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Joining me now, um, we are super excited to have on Tim Cornelius. And he has one of my favorite job titles of uh, any guest we've had in a while. He is the Director of Audience Operations at Question Pro. That sounds like a big job in itself. He's also CEO at P3 Technology. And he is a Green Book honoree, a Green Book list honoree as well. So, um, man, this is quite the coup for us to have you on, Tim. Hey, how are you? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, when, um, a little big background. I ran into Tim at IAEX, and I was already looking forward to his presentation. And um, he mentioned he was having a sign language interpreter. So I was, I was a big fan of that. I knew that at that moment that Tim was the one we had to have on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe to kind of kick this off, we could just do a quick introduction of your background. Um, so yeah, what, what, what have you done in your career? What's, what's your background? Yeah, so I started in research at Gartner, um, world's largest IT advisory firm. Uh, the companies that I was working with were research and insights focused, so the survey monkeys of the world at that time. I um, heard about a little startup in New Orleans named Lucid, um, and it kind it lined up, and it was a way to come home. So uh, I took a job there as a customer success manager and due to COVID was laid off, started working with Question Pro as a director of operations for audience for the audience product. And from there, you know, I've found a couple uh, companies. The newest one is P3. Yeah, maybe let's start off with P3. What is I'm not familiar with P3. What is P3? So P3 is a mission-driven organization that gives a voice to the disabled in market research. Uh, We are a full stop shop of uh, consultancy around uh, making your research and your insights accessible, um, regardless of socioeconomical status, uh, gender, race, ethnicity, really accessibility, so... Yeah, ability. And, and looking at your background, I feel like the topic of being inclusive with people of sort of um, disabilities is really, it feels like a passion of yours. And I'm curious about how and why that, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So the aha moment for me was that, I guess I should say that to start off, I've been disqualifying people and discriminating against people for years as part of my job as a researcher. Right. <laughs> and, you know, likely a, a lot of people listening have too. My aha moment came after a respondent I had profiled was kicked out of a research project. Uh, her name is Ariel. She's 36, female, mother of two, head of the household. Decision maker for CPG, uh, a California resident and a gig worker. She checked all of my boxes. Um, But one question that I hadn't profiled was her ableism. So she was born deaf, did not know that. Um, 15 minutes into the survey, Mm -hmm. we had a red herring question based on a video that had no closed captioning by default and there was no back button 
no subtitles at all. She lost 15 minutes of her time, making her late to pick up her kids from school. So this is, this I is a story. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. And I I started like I started chatting with her throughout the rest of the night and being like, what where else am I blind? What am I doing wrong? And she came to me and uh, told me about her experience in life and surveys um, and really just uh, tugged at my heartstrings and made me feel like a terrible person when I looked in the mirror. <laughs> so I decided that there was that I needed to do something about it. And I found a bunch of inequities um, around education and lots of uh, ableism and things like that. That's incredible. I love that you got the feedback straight from a respondent. And I love that you probed for more. You asked, mm-hmm. what else am I missing? What else is blocking respondents from qualifying for these surveys? And we need these people. So I think it's really incredible that you took the time to follow up and ask what else could be done. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, and it, it was a really I, selfishly i was thinking why didn't this person get through um and i i decided to look at the person rather than the response and that's what really led to the job of you know understanding the way that people are and getting the points of view of everyone not just those who are able right so how were you able to start implementing those practices into your work or how do you convince your clients or the surveyors to make those changes into their questionnaires? Well, um, as with all things business, you have to put an economical value or an economic value on um, all the decisions that you're making. So here's one, one in four Americans are currently disabled or identify as disabled. Um, Bureau of Labor Statistics says that they have a spending power of $490 billion a year. So I lead with that. And then I say that (laughs) you're leaving out 25% of the market. If that's not good enough, you are leaving out um, almost half a trillion dollars of people that could be promoters of your product, just financially voting with their dollars and backing the organizations that are doing right by them. You you list a lot of examples of how um, research is not inclusive of people with disabilities. Can you maybe mention a couple of them? Sure. Um, You list a lot in the stack that you said. (laughs) Yeah. We we can talk all day about it. Oh yeah, for sure. Let me start with something that I, you know, personally am going through. So I, after I started P3 about a year into it and working with Question Pro, found out I've got a degenerative vision condition. Um, so I am going to be a part of the populations that I'm setting out to uh, hear from. And I think about it, you know, you don't think about things until it happens to you a lot of the time. Um, and I think about how terrifying it would be to live in a world where my voice can't be heard um, and I can't I can't vote with my survey I can't vote with my dollars um, and I think about you know who's going to 
take care of when I become part of that population. I'm very uh, optimistic, but uh, you know, it is what it is. So um, I, I think about the first one is of course, low vision and blind. Um, I think about, you know, you, you have to have alt uh, text to every in image. Um, you know, it, there's <laughs> Amazon allows sellers to go on their website, but if you do the vision, um, if you use one of the vision emulators for someone who's low vision or blind screen readers, you will just go down the list of you look looking for a, you know, maybe Tulane green shirt. It'll just say, this listing is a green shirt. This next listing is a green shirt. This next listing is a green shirt. Not this one is a green shirt with black stripes, things like that. That would make you stand out. So that's one of the most important um, things I would mention. And is an example that everybody knows is Amazon. So um, there's a lot that we can go into. <laughs> you go on. Can I, can I confirm you, you started P3 because of Ariel. And then later you found out that you have vision issues after you started P3. Yes, that is correct. That is the correct timeline. Um, wow. And yeah. And, you know, I doing research on research, which, you know, that's what we do when we stop doing client work. We just start doing research on research and thinking about how we can be better and how we can help our clients better. Yeah. Um and one of the things that I came across was I, I don't, I can't feel bad for myself because if you are lucky enough to grow old enough, uh, you will likely lose a lot of your hearing and your sight at some point. I'm just going to get there a little bit before um, most people. So it's, 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 a condition that is going to affect the aging population. Um, if, no medical advances are brought through, but um, I'm uh, I'm excited that I started this work where I'm at right now, so that I can, you know, be an advocate um, and an ally. So well, that's that's amazing. And one of the things you mentioned, at least in the DAC that you talked about, that and I think this is a lot of what you do is is help improve websites be much more inclusive. And I think the stat is 73% disabled people experience barriers to even accessing your website. So a lot of what you do is inform brands and companies about ensuring that their website is inclusive of people that have various challenges and disabilities, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we make sure and audit it on uh, different levels. If you are just looking to say, hey, am I accessible? Uh, we can do that for you. Um, and you can dig in and actually expose the code that's wrong. And I can tell you um, who that role usually goes to, whether it would be back end, front end, things like that. Hmm. And then you list, and Shalak and I, when we were prepping for this, we, we saw a slide that you created that, which I love. Um, not all disabilities are visible. And you then list, I don't know how many, probably not all inclusive. This list is probably just the top, I don't know, 50 probably various disabilities that people have that you may not know, especially when someone's doing an online quantitative test. But even if they're doing a qualitative 
study, you may not know they have Parkinson's or some sort of speech disability, um, dementia, um, epilepsy, mental illness. Um, there's a million others, right? And so I love what you're doing and, and trying to be inclusive of all of these things. And I think that there's probably some little things you can do to help a lot of those, but I don't think as researchers, we think like that, especially in quantitative, we don't get to see the participants. It's very rare we get to see the participants. We don't know. They're like um, the example you gave. Um, we wouldn't have known they were deaf. Um, and so they probably would have failed that question, right? And then we would, probably wouldn't have had, had the ability to recontact them. Um, so maybe are there certain ones that are easier to um, adjust your research to help or other ones that are harder? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one that's uh, a uh, often overlooked um, um, part of the population is, of course, all the you know, vis non-visible um, disabilities, but also upper limb mobility issues. Most apps have some component of swiping, and that's really hard to do if you have a lot of certain conditions. Um, so you're left out a lot of the time, and you have to use adaptive technology to bridge that gap. Now, is the onus on the survey platform? Is the onus on the participant trying to access this content? Who does it? Who does it rely on? But I, I'd say that you know the business case for prepping for what you might not know in the future is around accessibility is very important. I've found that the companies that I work with, with Question Pro and P3, that it is a lot less expensive to start with accessibility in mind than it is to adjust midway and you know you, you might get drugged through the court of public opinion like uber who was discriminating against people in wheelchairs that had to take longer to get in uh, but then you run into all sorts of issues and i think that the easiest ones to prep for are the ones that are um, mentioned in the ada so, you know, readability, things like that. Um, is your survey uh, accessible to someone who has low vision, no vision, deaf, things like that? Um, but you can't trust the ADA, I found out. <laughs> oh, no. uh, yeah. I audited their website, and I think I found around 164 errors that they failed their own accessibility standards on the homepage alone. So I don't know if, if they can't get it right, how are we gonna get it right? So be easy on yourself uh, <laughs> when, you, when you start to think about it. Any percentage better is better than you were yesterday. So, you know, the ADA is a good place to start, but you can't end there. And you have to involve someone with disabilities to be able to uh, understand what you don't know. And that's why we ask questions. Wow. Yeah, you're not going to make any progress without having these types of conversations and seeing what you're missing and doing those audits. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was thinking about who had to have the best website. And <laughs> that's so amazing. Bad. 
Yeah. Brian, um, I don't know if you have any questions, but Brian has an interesting story. I'll let him tell about it. his challenges as a, working as our mark. He's not yeah. just a podcast co-host. He also um, he runs everything to do with marketing at EMI. And um, we've, you know, we've had challenge, not when say challenges, but interesting conversations about us. Yeah. Well, interesting conversations I have in my home life too, because Tim, I'm colorblind. So that makes it interesting as a marketer when you're designing color profiles and stuff like that. <clears throat> so as we're talking here, I'm going to show you, we have a color palette for EMI. The printout means nothing to me. I literally have to write down the codes so it matches. I have, Really? I can't do it by sight. No, never have. I, wow. I have one sitting here. I have one sitting on my desk at the office. But like we use Trello for some of our manage, like project management stuff on my team. They actually have a colorblind feature. So yeah, it has red, green, and those, but it puts a design in each one so you can tell which one it is. So like mm -hmm. one is polka dot, one has stripes to the left, stripes to the right, that kind of stuff. So there's that aspect to it. So I can understand that. And the colorblind isn't like, Oh, I can't see, I can't hear, but there's once in a, you only have to ask a stranger in a Coles what color pants you're holding once to never go shopping by yourself again. <laughs> We've had so many interesting conversations. I mean, a lot of his roles, I create research and research on all these crazy slides and stuff. And then he, he, he creates them. And I think it was early on in his career. I'm like, man, these colors are like, what is going on here? And then that's when I found out like, yeah. okay, he, he knows what he's doing. He's just a different general colors, you know? And a lot of it is like, it's an advantage for us, I think, internally, that he is colorblind because we're not putting anything out there that is someone that is colorblind can't differentiate. And so that, in some ways, that's an advantage I, for I us. like the primary colors because you can tell the difference. <laughs> I'm not having four different shades of like purple blue. Ooh. They're all going to look the same. <laughs> so. Wow, that's 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 awesome that you have uh, somebody at the ground floor and that is leading. Um, Nineteen point one percent of uh, the I, I would call it disabled uh, disabled population is employed, so that leaves a large percentage of other ones and senior positions as well. EMI, good job. I'm loving it, like McDonald's. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, so. Um, what are what are some other like um, if you have some tips or tricks um, beyond colorblindness? And I think one with um, um, adding subtitles to videos seems mm -hmm. a no brainer, right? And we yeah. have technology now that really helps with that. Are there other some quick tips that you have? Yeah, um, under Microsoft has an AI app for people that have vision issues called Seeing AI. Um, they use the smartphone camera to identify and audio describe what's going on around you. Um, the uh, screen readers are great for um, the computer. Um, Google Action Blocks is makes it easy to carry out common actions. It's kind of like to dumb it down to where I understand it. It's kind of like that jitterbug cell phone that you give to seniors yeah. or little kids. Oh, that yeah. just says like, hey, the action I want to do is call. And I want to call grandma or call right. my mom kind of thing. So it makes it big and you, it, uh, it lets you know like what exactly you're trying to do. Are you trying to surf the web? Uh, Zoom translations and transcripts are great. Um, 
but there's honestly no substitute for having someone with a disability um, just from a economic and social cost uh, standpoint. Oh yeah. And thinking about quantitative research specifically, some of the things that I think I've seen from your deck are font size. If we just talked about colors, um, the red herring questions, you want to go back to red herring? Don't <laughs> ask a video or an audio question and ask what sound a horse makes or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you might lose people on that one too. So right. it's <laughs> um, education level is a big one that we aren't talking about. I had the um, I had the intro to a survey, like the consent form, uh, and I went to take the survey, and I was like, eh, I don't even know what that word means. So I put it through a calculator that says what reading level would you have to have uh, to understand what you're consenting to um, through a website online. And they use four different calculations. The lowest I got was a senior in high school. Um, some of them said that you had to be a grad student. Um, but it made me think about, you know, there's like 34% of um, Hispanic people that come to the United States that are 24, 26, and don't have a high school education and are taking your surveys. So are they, do they really know um, what they're consenting to? Or, and, and is it just assumed at that point? Is it the cost of doing business of looking over someone in their interest? Or are you being inclusive and really getting down to like a lower reading level where you get 90 plus percent of the population. Wow, that's a great example. Do you have you. like a baseline of your suggestion for reading level on all surveys? So I tend to go, and this is not scientifically backed, but third grade reading level is what I go to. Um, and if you're going to do a red herring, it should be non-math. <laughs> math is hard for a lot of people, including myself. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> I would ask questions ab about the person, not about their circumstances or about, um, knowledge. So it should be 99.99%. You can always ask, answer questions about yourself. Oh, that's good. And Angelica, I don't know if you just want to share your <laughs> recent example call me out and I'm gonna be so embarrassed and this is gonna be published on the podcast <laughs> through a survey for a client um and I kept getting terminated I was like there's something wrong with the logic here I need to reach back out something's wrong um and the client emailed me back turns out I was answering that question wrong <laughs> that was <laughs> 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 I didn't know like Jenny gains six apples and loses two or something. It was ridiculously stupid. <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed. I'm like, you know what? I I consider myself quite smart. Maybe not in that department, but I should have been able to qualify for their survey. Who knows how many other people are just glossing over it or not really paying attention. Um, or not just like that. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation now. Angelica, number one, you're obviously incredibly smart. 
Um, and now that we're talking to Tim, like we can, we, we knew maybe we should have pushed back on the client. Hey, if I'm missing this math question, I'm college educated. Imagine someone that um, doesn't have quite the same education level or English as their second language, like you just mentioned also, they may not be getting that either. So I think that's a great example and that you shouldn't be embarrassed by that at all. Well, thanks. <laughs> I feel better. Yeah, that's a great example. And the a couple more occasions like that, and you'll find yourself wondering, you know, what else am I missing? You know, if, if this is a me problem, what's a you problem? Um, and, and how can I help you with that? So that's what I try to do when I think about um, helping clients. But I a thousand times have done that same thing, but haven't been uh, brave enough to admit it a lot of the time. So <laughs> that's a good, I should implement that in my studies or advise against it rather. Awesome. We're getting some good best practices out of this. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, to me, part of this discussion helps and especially the examples of both Angelica and Brian and yourself, Tim, are such great reminders to push back on surveys, to feel empowered that if you're missing a question or it doesn't make sense to you or you can't see it or it's not the right color palette to push back and empower. Hopefully that's where we're moving as a society to be much more inclusive. I think we talk about inclusivity where we're moving in the right direction as an industry and as a society. But I think this is a, one of the areas where we forget um, inclusivity doesn't just mean um, race, ethnicity, age. It goes to disabilities and disabilities. And you, you, you said it yourself of a lot of them you can't see. And that gets into empathy and things like that. So this is such an important topic. I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's been great. Um... I always like looking in the mirror and telling everyone how bad I was at my job. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of you can um, appreciate that. So, you know, there's one thing I, I try to leave most conversations with. It's a, um, a quote from Maya Angelou and it's do the best you can until you know better Then when you know better, do better. So that would be my advice. Ask someone smart like Angelica or the Bryans to help you with your research and we'll make the world a better place. Awesome. <laughs> Before we, I feel like this is headed towards a closing and I just wanted to ask a couple more things. Um, so we're talking a lot about before the survey is live and what we can do in the questionnaire, what we can do in the program to make it more accessible for people. But I also wanted to see if you had any feedback on post-survey and data cleaning and looking at open ends and how people respond. I mean, data quality is so stringent. And I think sometimes you can see an open end and maybe there's a typo or maybe you can clearly tell it's broken English. Like maybe just adding in more empathy in the data cleaning process to make sure that we're not removing people who are valid respondents, but maybe they don't have a grad level education. Maybe they speak five languages and English is not their first. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really great point and I'm happy to speak on it. Um, there's a, a guy that we work with named Jonathan Hawkins and his big idea is digital empathy um, and being while the world is 
ran by algorithms, you know, there's a human that wrote those and um, they can be outdated. Um, but I would say that instead of going off of a single occurrence, um, like a misspelled word, you could go with a activity score to see if, you know, is this a theme of the individual or is this a mistake? Um, and then using tools like Research Defender um, to make sure that there's no copying and pasting and it's in the local language, not translated. Um, so fingerprinting, all of those good things. But, you know, there is a conversation to be had with each customer on the quantitative side. Um, and you need to agree at the very beginning what your standards and what their standards are of data quality um, and you know, speak to that. If they want to allow straight liners, um, pattern responses, gibberish, profanity, more power to them. Um, <laughs> it's up to, <laughs> it's up on the back end, but you know, we could go, we could talk forever about, you know, what is the right setting of data quality to be inclusive and all of that. So yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. Angelica, feel free, keep going. You have another question, I know you yeah. do. Yeah, go on. I don't know, let me see. <laughs> oh, she's got a list. Yes. So obviously we have a huge population of people that might not be taking surveys because they don't think that it's inclusive for them. What are the next steps? Do we need to do a better job at recruiting people? Where can we find them? How do we ensure that they stay engaged with the survey? Like what, what can we do as an industry to help get this population of people back to our surveys? And how do we make sure they're set up for success? Yeah, that's a great question. Getting to what good looks like as an industry is the idea. And there are organizations like the Idea Council that are sponsoring research. Um, a lot of people are putting up the sample for it, the platform for it, and we're all coming together to define, like, should we even be asking demographic questions? Or what's this uh, experience like for someone who is in a wheelchair uh, or someone who has ADHD um, or any other mental illness? Um, and really, I think what we need to come together as an industry, we all work together for the most part, or a lot of the time together. So we need to get a standardization of what we will allow. Um, and I would challenge the industry to, you know, be better, um, figure out what to ask, what's not important, what's not actionable, and keep that to yourself. <laughs> um, I would also, I, I'm a big proponent of putting the um, data back in the consumer's hands and saying, do you opt to get rewarded for saying that we can have access to your gender, um, your age, um, things that are fluid, um, like how you identify ethnically or sexual orientation um, mm -hmm. and, and different things down the line that we don't even know about right now. I have one. I can jump in. So Tim, we've talked a lot about making surveys accessible and we've talked it from a broad scale, but it had me thinking, 
there's a target group or tar target type of study that honestly, if we haven't been doing this already, I feel like any of the results could almost get thrown out. And it's those, it, think of an ailment study. Like if I'm asking, I'm testing, hey, I want to get feedback on a new hearing aid and I'm going out to deaf and I want to target a group, de the deaf. If we're not making that survey accessible, I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> or, hey, I, I want to, I need to survey something around people with uh, vision issues. Well, if I'm doing a standard survey with 12 point font, I mean, how can you even trust any of that data? Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, and it's it's hard to it's hard to make those calls and say like, hey, we're especially on tracking work um, and having to go back and say, hey, we're better now. Um, we're going to include these people. So I had a when I worked at Gardner, I had a guy who sat next to me who had just started and his previous career was he sold hearing aids over the phone. And that I thought that like that has salesman to be. That sells snow to Eskimos. <laughs> I thought that that was the hardest job I'd ever heard of. And he's like, actually, it's pretty. It was pretty easy. <laughs> Just whisper into the phone and see. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, yeah, absolutely. So you know, there are. Uh, I would say in every state there are vocational programs that are federally funded to be able to reach uh, deaf and blind people who are underemployed. Uh, if they're in the system, if they're getting benefits, uh, you can make sure and reach out to them uh, with permission, of course. There's a bunch of organizations you can reach out to. Um, a friend of mine in Austin, Texas is putting out a platform that is aimed at curing the um, employment issues with those that are blind. So he has like a community college type program that uh, teaches people how to access email and, you know, ba do basic coding and stuff. So they're ready for their first job. It's pretty cool. Tim, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Um, how can people reach you if they have qu additional questions? You can reach me on LinkedIn. <laughs> my name on there is Timothy Cornelius, as it is when my mother gave it to me. Um, I know Brian's big on giving out a cell phone. So I'll do that as well. It's 504-812-2277. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm just super proud of you and proud of um, all the work you're doing. This is needed in our industry. I hope this resonates with someone and we want feedback. Hope people reach out to Tim um, or us with any questions. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.